Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far and is ready for the weekend. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about on the podcast today. I haven't done an episode in the last couple of days, so we're going to really be recapping everything that's been going on both in movies and TV over the last week or so. I'm going to be talking about some box office updates that have come over the last Last couple of days, especially in regards to Top Gun Maverick and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I'm also going to be getting into some trailers that have come out as well, some indicators of what could be some potential award season contenders for this year's Oscars as well. And of course, I'm going to be doing my annual weekend preview, giving you guys some insight and looks into what is coming out this weekend that you should check out both in theaters and also on streaming as well. But the first thing that I want to do get into on the podcast today is to go into the TV corner a little bit and talk about and, and kind of review some things that are going on around the TV world and some TV shows that are really big right now that I want you guys to look forward to. And of course, the big one right now that is out that isn't Miss Marvel on Disney Plus is, of course, the big Star Wars show, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And this was the penultimate episode that came out this week. It was part five of a six-part series. And again, this is going to be a non-spoiler review for the events of part five. Again, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't like to get into spoilers if you've been on this podcast before. Before the weekend, I usually like to give people, if I ever do a spoiler review, I like to do it on a Monday or Tuesday after the episode airs. So there's plenty of time. Again, if you haven't seen the episode, don't worry. This is going to not go into any details whatsoever but I think especially when we go into part five if you've seen part four it was very much a little bit of a of a lower point after kind of I think the big high of part three where we have kind of the first big confrontation of Vader and Obi-Wan together and and it was just I think everyone was really excited to see Darth Vader again and then to go into episode four which was a little bit more of a a letdown it was a, a very short episode and I don't really complain about that often but I think especially given that you only have six episodes and you it's more of a you're more of a movie stylized show than anything else I think having a 30 or so minute episode was a little bit of a of a disservice to the show and also just some of the plot points were a little bit rushed but it was cool to see some of the of the interactions as well between some of these certain characters but definitely a lower point than to some of the episodes that have come beforehand and with episode five again it, this this whole show has been kind of like a roller coaster and episode Episode 5 is a huge shot of adrenaline that I think will get people really excited for the finale that is set to come next week and also for what's come before in the show because I think we get some great reveals within this, especially when it comes to characters like Reva and to some of the story progression that people might have had a problem with in recent episodes. I think people will be a little bit more satisfied with why she is doing what she is doing. You get some great stuff with Vader. You get some things that you were hoping for for so long with this show that really deliver and I think great ways that are really smart for the story and how they kind of weave certain things throughout this episode that really, really, really work as well. Again, Ewan McGregor is fantastic as Obi-Wan and I just think that I hope we get more with this character moving forward. I know they said they said this is going to be a limited series. It's only going to be a one and done. But again, we, as we've seen in recent years, limited series isn't what it used to be, where it was for, for some shows, it's really just one season, one story, that's it. But we've seen certain shows kind of progress and tell 
one and done stories, but they continue to do things in, in certain seasons that they didn't do in, in, in other ones. So hopefully there's more story to tell beyond this down the line, because again, it's just great to see Ewan take this character back. And I just feel like only six episodes wasn't really enough to kind of dive back into everything. And so hopefully this isn't the end of it, but I think this episode does set up a great finale to come. Now there have been some rumors that the episode could potentially be a 90 minute or so episode. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not 100% sure, but the aspect of getting a longer finale kind of makes sense by the time you see the end of this episode. Again, one of the things that I've always feared, especially when it comes to the Marvel shows, because they've definitely taken more of the six episode format than the Star Wars shows have, where Mandalorian and Boba Fett have been more seven to eight episode orders. I just think that six episodes isn't enough to tell a whole story. And um, I felt that after episode five, but if we get an episode that is able to tie everything up, give a really good ending to the story while also satisfying fans for what has kind of come before with this being a link between episode three, episode four. I, I Hopefully they, they give a good episode where you wrap up a lot of the storylines, give good resolutions to some of these characters and make us look forward to what is to come or get us to kind of rewatch episode four, episode five and the continuation of the Star Wars saga after this show. But Overall, again, without getting into any into any spoilers, really liked this episode. I thought it was my favorite of the show so far. If I had to rank them, it would probably go five, three, one, two, four right now. With again the finale still pending for a final full ranking of what Obi Wan Kenobi really is like. So again, overall, I've really liked the show overall, and this was just I think what fans have really wanted the show to be, and I think it was a great continuation and a great continued depth of these characters that we've gotten so far with some great twists and turns and great moments for some of these characters that I think we've been waiting to see for a very long time as well. So what did you guys think about episode five of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And again, I'm not going to be reviewing episode two of Miss Marvel this week. Next week, I will be starting with episode three and onward. I did a review for the first two episodes about a week or so ago I got the first two episodes for screenings before the premiere debut last week so if you want to see my thoughts on that check that out but starting next week I will be doing my my reviews again alongside the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi of Miss Marvel as well but the last thing that I want to talk about in the TV corner on the Sam Bissell podcast is a show that I've been watching over the last month and a half or so as it's been on and that of course is the Paramount Plus show The Off Now, Paramount Plus is not really a streaming service that has all the best content. I mean, they have some really cool stuff coming out. Of course, Yellowstone is their bread and butter right now with Kevin Costner. That show's been taking off and doing really well. And recently, before the offer came out, of course, they had the highly anticipated first season debut of Halo, and I thought that was a really good addition as well. And then they come around with the offer, which if you don't know what it is, it is a 10-part limited series basically detailing the making of The Godfather, specifically from the viewpoint of its producer, 
Albert Ruddy, who is a well-known, legendary producer throughout Hollywood who has made some of the all-time classics when it comes to some influential movies that have really kind of changed the course of movie making from, again, The Godfather to The Longest Yard to Million Dollar Baby and so many more as well. And so this was kind of the viewpoint from him on what was it like kind of being the center point of making all this stuff come out and make what is regarded as the greatest film, if not one of the greatest films of all time in The Godfather. And I was looking forward to this when it was first announced from the trades. I mean, you first had Army Hammer and then, of course when all the stuff with Army Hammer was coming out, you replaced them with Miles Teller, you have Matthew Good coming in, you have Dan Fogler coming in as Francis Ford Coppola. So you're getting all these different pieces together. You're getting actors to play Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, Scott Kahn, or James Kahn, excuse me. So you're getting a lot of, of people to play all these iconic, legendary figures in the world of Hollywood. And I'm somebody who loves film history, so whenever we get something like this, I am all for it. And I, and I was really looking forward to seeing what they were going to to do with the making of this because especially if you if you're a big fan of movies or if you just know film history in general you know about the making of the godfather and what went through to make this film what it was and it, it truly deserves being told whether it's on the big screen and in movie format or as a limited series it deserves to be told in a dramatized kind of fictional way and i was looking forward to this i heard some good some mixed things about the show but going through all 10 episodes i loved this show and to me it's one of the best things to come out for me in television in a while i just think that throughout its 10 episodes it told such a beautiful story about all these different kinds of characters and you made they made you emphasize with them in so many different ways and i think that it's a great story between so many different angles it's about family whether you're dealing with the actual fictional characters of the corleone family or the kind of mismatched family that's created when making the godfather between francis for coppola mario puzo ruddy and 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 then of course robert evans and all them just kind of being this this just awkward unlinked family that come together in the end of this to make this movie happen is incredible so it's about that it's about the actual crime families that were involved in this in the making of this movie and how they were kind of an obstacle but how they sometimes kind of come together in this crazy way it's about friendships and 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 bonds that you wouldn't think form that do naturally form throughout the making of this movie it's about the nature of hollywood especially during that time period transitioning from the late 60s into the early 70s and how it kind of transitioned from being not just studio making films but studio but studio films and films in general that were very auteur driven i mean again the godfather you had films like chinatown being made with roman polanski and, and all these films that again when you think about film history today are some of the greatest films of all time and it's about also the business and artistic aspect of the industry and we always talk about it in today's day and age where everything is very Hollywood, Hollywood-esque and very much kind of business-oriented when we talk about IPs and franchises being kind of driven into the ground and it's, it's all that we see and how we see certain things that are more artistic not being fully focused. This very much kind of, I think, puts an, an eye to that when you deal with kind of 
people like Robert Evans and Francis Ford Coppola going up against the the company that owns Paramount Pictures with, with A&E. I thought that was all done so incredibly well. And it just had all these different aspects. And telling it over a 10-episode arc was brilliantly well done. And it really felt like a 10-hour movie. I think if you go back and you if you if you haven't watched this yet and you binge watch it with all 10 episodes, it really feels like you're watching a 10-hour movie kind of play out in real time and it's just it's so incredibly well done it feels like you're in the 70s and again i not all of it this is probably true but a lot of it really kind of did happen and i think when people see things like this kind of come together you want to see all the facts come out and and people are always complaining well it didn't tell the, the full story or it didn't tell everything exactly how it happened if you want that then go watch a documentary about this but if you want something that you'll connect to these characters but you'll get the basic story of how this film was made I think you'll really enjoy what this was able to do. And I think it's a great example of taking something that's in real life and and making it a dramatized fictional way of how this all kind of came about. And another thing that I got to really praise is the cast in this. And and overall, it's an incredible ensemble. But there are a lot of people that I really want to point out that did an incredible job on this show. And again, who knows what would have happened if Army Hammer wasn't who he was and didn't have his problems. Maybe he would have done a good job with this. Who knows? But I think they actually upgraded when getting Miles Teller. I loved him as as Al Ruddy. I think you really get kind of the, the, the eye for how good of a guy he, that he was in terms of being a producer and, and how he was really invested in what he was doing. I think the big person that people are talking about that should get a lot of Emmy consideration is Matthew Good as Robert Evans, as the head of Paramount Pictures, one of the great studio heads, one of the great producers of all time. And, and, and again, there's always that feud between him and Francis Ford Coppola, and that's really played well on screen on this show. I think he deserves some Emmy consideration. The way that when you watch the trailer and the way that he plays Bob Evans, you could think that it's very much a, a caricature. But as the, the, the show moves on and you see the layers that he presents with Bob Evans, it's just so so brilliantly played that I think he deserves a lot of consideration in the in the Emmys race this year. Speaking of Francis Ford Coppola, Dan Fogler, I mean, he, I, I, I had no idea. I don't know what Francis Ford Coppola was like. I wasn't born in the 70s and the 80s when he was really at the height of his power, but Dan Fogler brings that energy from what I've always heard about Francis Ford Coppola to this show. He is absolutely incredible. Juno Temple, who of course everyone knows from Ted Lasso as Betty, as Al Ruddy's assistant, she is incredible in this show. I mean, I love I love the rise of Juno Temple over the last couple of years, but the the way that she brings Betty is just absolutely incredible. I love the chemistry between her and Ruddy in this. They just create such a great dynamic duo that I really really was was excited to see every single week that I watched this show. And of course, Giovanni Ribisi as Columbo. I mean, he I, I when I saw it at first, I'm like, I don't know if he can pull this off. I, I don't really see him as a gangster, but again, as the show progresses rest he got better and better and better and you saw more layers to this guy than you originally think and so it there was just so many great performances throughout but those are the ones that really stood out to me 
the most. And it also had this Sopranos kind of vibe to it, this crime, this actual crime element that just wove it all together so well. And each week again, it got better and better and better until it crescendoed, I think, in the last week or so with the finale. And again, I, I, I know people don't have a lot to invest in with Paramount Plus, but if you want to try a free trial and check it out, I recommend binge watching the entire 10 episodes of The Offer. Again, it's probably one of my, if not my favorite show of this year so far. It's one of my favorites of the over the last couple years. I Even though I knew what the story was, I was invested in the characters. I was emotionally attached to what was going on, and it all just reaches such a great conclusion, and it's just such an incredible story. Great characters, great complexities throughout. Very much recommend it. One of my favorites of the year so far. Check it out when you get a chance. Again, it's The Offer on Paramount Plus. If you have seen the offer, what did you think about it? If you have seen it, let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And that's going to be it for the TV corner of the Sam Bissell podcast. And now I want to get into some major movie news that is going on around the industry. And we're going to start off by talking about a certain Warner Brothers film that I think is going to set off a lot of bells and curiosity over the next year or so as it is filming right now and that is the brand new film Barbie which is set to be directed by Greta Gerwig and is written by her partner Noah Baumbach and it has an A-list cast that includes Margot Robbie, Simu Leo and so much more and one of the people that is also attached to this film is the one and only Ryan Gosling and we just got a first look image of him as the Ken doll in the Barbie line that we know the that line of toys to be and we, we did get during CinemaCon a few months ago the first look as of Margot Robbie as Barbie and now we get the look of the male character in the in the Barbie sphere and that of course is the Ken doll and looking at it it seems pretty accurate I mean Ryan Gosling looks like a Ken doll he's got the the body for it he's got the the full bleach blonde hair going as well it seems like he's got this kind of Calvin Klein underwear logo that's going on where it's says Ken on there. It, 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 it looks kind of, it has that poppy, glossy feel that we saw with the Margot Robbie picture as well. And I, I'm fascinated by what this film is, is going to be. Again, I, we have no idea what the story of this is. All we have to go on is the cast, the people working behind the project, and these images that we've gotten so far. Uh, hopefully, I, I was saying to this uh, uh, to a friend a few days ago, where I'm hoping when we get a, a trailer, I need a trailer by the time Don't Worry Darling comes out, because that's when Olivia Wilde's film comes out. It's late September, and that's a, a tour-driven film that's going from a major studio, and this is very much in that same vein as well, and hopefully we'll be done shooting by that point. But this whole project from, it's in, not really even since its inception, but since Greta Gerwig, Noah Baumbach, two prestigious writers and directors came on to work on this, I've been fascinated by what they're going to be coming up with Margot Robbie and this entire cast in this, in this movie. And apparently... It's going to have multiple variations of, of, of the dolls from different female characters playing different versions of Barbie dolls to different versions of, of, of Ken dolls, like Simu Liu is playing a version of a Ken doll alongside Ryan Gosling. So I'm curious to see what this film is really going to be. But Warner Brothers has clearly a lot of confidence in it. As they put it smack dab in the prime time of summer movie season next year, right alongside their former employee with Christopher Nolan with Barbie. 
Barbie coming out on July 21st, right alongside Nolan's new film, Oppenheimer, which also has a prestigious A-list cast alongside of it, with, of course, arguably the best director in the game right now with Nolan, alongside Universal, a major studio head. So that weekend is going to be huge, but Warner Brothers has the confidence to put it in that slot, seeing that it's that it can perform alongside that movie and deliver on driving people to go see their movie and Cineplexes next year. But again, it's got a, a great cast. Um, the, the pictures have people curious and talking, so we'll see where it all goes. But uh, Barbie is very much setting the stage to be a film excuse me, that people talk about for the remainder of this year when the marketing campaign revs up going into next year and probably putting it on a lot of people's most anticipated list coming out for 2023 because I know it'll be on my list. So I'm sure it'll be on a lot of other people's list as well. But what do you guys think about this first look image of Ryan Gosling as one of the Ken dolls in this Barbie film? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And then moving away from this first image of Barbie to the world of the box office, which we'll be talking about for that film when it comes out next year. But for right now, there are some major films during this summer movie season that are making a lot of headway at the box office. And today we got some major milestones that were announced by the trades. The first one is for right now, arguably the, the movie of the summer. And that of course is Top Gun Maverick with Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, John Hamm, Jennifer Conley. And this is been a movie that has literally had the need for speed since it opened up during the Memorial Day weekend. And this film has not gone away anytime soon. Even with a film like Jurassic World Dominion coming out last weekend, it still did really well at the box office coming in at number two. And it did really well in its follow-up weekend from Memorial Day where it had the lowest percentage drop in box office history at only around 29%, grossing around 85, 85 to $90 million in its second weekend and right now it has already topped over 400 million dollars to become not only the highest grossing film of the year domestically it is also the highest grossing film for tom cruise's career domestically well now worldwide it is officially the highest grossing tom cruise film of all time period stop delete nothing else has come close to it it surpasses the recent mission impossible film fallout from 2018 which had the highest grossing tom cruise numbers at at around $791 million at the worldwide box office. Tom, Top Gun Maverick is going to blow pie past that in huge numbers. And now the big question, of course, is can this film surpass $1 billion at the worldwide box office and becoming only the second film of this pandemic era right now, right alongside Spider-Man No Way Home, to reach that billion-dollar threshold. I think for me, it was a long shot a while ago. Now it seems like it could potentially be an inevitability. It's only reached these certain heights within the first three weeks of its run so far, whereas for Doctor Strange, which we'll talk about in a second, it's gotten to around $930 million within 40 or so days. So it's, it's already getting these numbers, and it's not even slowing down at any certain point right now. People are still going to see this film. They want to get the experience. Even without IMAX theaters or premium level format theaters, people are still going to see this film because they love the experience. It's got a, a great story. It's got a great cinema score. People are buzzing about this movie. It's got that summer feel to it. And I think people want that experience and they're getting it when they're seeing Top Gun Maverick and the repeat viewings are coming through constantly for this film right now. So I think Top Gun Maverick could potentially 
potentially be the film of the year, but it certainly is the film of the summer right now. I know we still have a long way to go. We still have half of June, all of July, and the beginning of August, but right now it's seeing for a lot of people that predicted this would happen, it's coming true that, that this movie is very much going to be the talk of this season right now. And then moving on over to the film that opened up the summer movie season at the beginning of May, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is making a little bit of history within its own franchise as on the domestic front, it has grossed $400 million at the domestic box office. It is now, in terms of domestic, it is number 10 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's franchise, number 10 on the highest grossing films within the universe. And the only films to be above it at number nine is Captain America Civil War at $408 million. Above it is Iron Man 3 from 2013 at $409. You have Captain Marvel at $426. The Avengers Age of Ultron at $459. The first Avengers at $623. $3 million. Then coming in at number four is Avengers Infinity War at $678 million. Tied for second and third is Spider-Man No Way Home and Black Panther with $700 million. And then, of course, the king of them all, Avengers Endgame, still sits as the highest grossing domestic film in the MCU at $858 million. But I think, again, still, this is a great success story, even though I think when we talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, it, the reviews for it weren't as high as we thought it could be. It's it, it's going to be very hard for it to hit that billion dollar mark, especially since it is going to be hitting Disney Plus next week, and it's really kind of starting to hit the the end game for its run in terms of its box office legs, with a lot of films set to really come out, and Thor: Love and Thunder set to hit theaters in a few weeks as well as the next MCU film. I think Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is at the end of its run, but it's had a great run so far. And again, the fact that when we look at it in the wider MCU, we thought this was going to be a big event film, and it was, but it did, it's not making, I think, the billions and billions of dollars that people thought it was going to make, but it's still doing really well for itself. And I think especially for a Doctor Strange film, when we think about the jump from its first film to the second film, this is a huge victory for the MCU. When a, when a character like Doctor Strange, who has been through the MCU with the Avengers, films in Spider-Man No Way Home, his popularity has grown, and I think the numbers are really showing that right now, and the fact that it's hit $400 million at the box office, it's literally inches away from hitting a billion dollars, and I think if it had additional markets, it would have been able to fully achieve that that total. It's just going to fall a little bit short of that, but still, I think this is a great win for the universe. I think this tees up very well for Thor Love and Thunder come July 8th. And I think this also sets up really well for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and, and the rest of the MCU really going forward. I, again, it didn't hit the billion dollar mark, but I think it showcases that still the Marvel Cinematic Universe is very strong at the box office and people are still gonna come out and see these movies no matter what. And and I think the in light of that happening with Doctor Strange, a big benefit and, and what's crazy for Top Gun Maverick is that that film is also not gonna be debuting in markets like China and in Russia and it is going to potentially hit the billion dollar mark so it just varies from time to time of what people's interests are and I think people the legs for Doctor Strange were, were really really good but it's just the boost of what Top Gun Maverick is doing right now is just greater at this point but I think for again for both films they are hitting some great strides right now and are going to be major success stories again I think overall in 2022 what do you guys think about this news in terms of the box office let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts and to wrap up the news portion of the Sam Bissell podcast 
podcast today before I wrap it up fully with the weekend preview. I want to go into the trending trailer corner of the podcast and talk about, again, two specific trailers that I think are going to be major potential awards contenders at this year's Academy Awards. And the first one that I want to talk about is one that I think is going to have a lot of eyeballs on it on Amazon Prime during the month of October and November, specifically excuse me, because of its leading man in Harry Styles and his performance in the film My Policeman, which is going to be directed by Michael Greenidge and is going to be written by Ron Naiswaner, who also was a writer for the hit film Philadelphia. Philadelphia, which of course was a big film for the career of Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington as well. And this is a film that stars, again, Harry Styles in one of his, really actually his first true leading man performance in this movie. It's also starring David Dawson and of course Emma Corrin, who if you know that name, she of course was a breakout star in season four of The Crown in 2020 when she played the younger version of Princess Diana. And the story of The Policeman follows where it's about the character Tom Burgress, who is a closeted policeman, and since it is illegal to be gay in 1957 Britain, Burgress begins dating a school teacher named Marianne, but also has a secret love affair with a museum curator in Patrick Hazelwood, who is played by David Dawson. The film jumps between two time periods, the 1950s and the, six, and the 90s. In the 50s, Burgress navigates his love triangle, but then 40 years later, Tom and Marianne's fraught relationship becomes even thornier as Patrick returns to their lives after suffering a stroke so the the teaser trailer for this film came out it's only about a minute or so it doesn't give a whole lot of details away but i think it showcases kind of the main gist of what is going on what is going to be in this film and again, I think the, the thing about this movie is, of course, going to be how is Harry Styles going to play this? This is very much going to be a very big dramatic role for him. And we've seen him do well. I, I liked him in Dunkirk. He looks really good in Don't Worry Darling, which is directed by Olivia Wilde. And he was replaced in that film. Or Shia, he was he replaced Shia LaBeouf in that film. He's very much a supporting character in that movie. But in this one, he is very much taking the reins of this film. And we talk about draws to a film, even though this is going to be debuting on Amazon Prime on November 4th, it's very much going to be a film that is going to have eyeballs on him and what he's going to be able to do. And again, when you look at kind of the checkbox for a potential Academy Award film, this has it. It has cast members. It has the story that very much fits what the Academy would be looking for. It has kind of the, the themes and, the, and the, the tropes that you would want an Academy film t- to have. It's got the writer behind it, the director as well, the feeling of it. So we'll see where this film could go. It looks very interesting. I, I really am looking forward to seeing what this story could be. It's based off of a novel. So we'll see where it goes. But from everything that I've heard about this film, from the trailer, it looks interesting. It, this could very well be a film that it, it could be a film that does well and could perform well enough and get good reviews that it could push to an Academy Award level, or it could be a film that has that potential, but flutters as soon as it it, it hits theaters. And then of course, Amazon Prime on November 4th. But overall, this could be a a big second half of of 2022, kind of like what Andrew Garfield had, even though I think all due respect to Harry Styles, Andrew Garfield is far and away a superior actor. But I think in terms of breaking out and being a household name within the 
acting community and within Hollywood, this could be that kind of, of, of year in that half of year for Harry Styles moving forward. I'm also excited for Emma Corrin because, again, I really like what she did as Princess Diana, and I'm excited to see the, the, the chops that she can bring to this role, but also can help her kind of, of gain more status and gain more roles through a movie like this. And we'll see what happens. But again, it's coming out in theaters on October 21st and then hitting the Amazon Prime streaming service on November 4th. So we'll see if this one gets any love at the film festivals. I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon tries to put this one at a kind of like a, what they did with One Night in Miami, where it could go Venice, it could go Toronto, Telluride. I think it'll go to one of those three festivals, if not maybe all three or two out of the three of them very much could happen. But I would not be surprised if this one gets the festival treatment if they have confidence in this film in the latter part of the summer into the early parts of the fall season. But what, do you guys, what did you guys think about the My Policeman teaser? Did you enjoy it? Did you not? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And then moving into one last trailer that came out over the last couple days to a award, a potential award season contender that I actually have a little bit more of an eye on than My Policeman, and that is for the Marilyn Monroe film Blonde, which is set to be directed by Andrew Dominic, and it is starring the one and only Ana de Armas as the iconic Hollywood staple of Marilyn Monroe that is based off of the book of the same name as the movie, which is called Blonde, by Joyce Carol Oates, and... This has been a movie that I am going to continue to have my eye on, but I have had my eye on over the last couple of years specifically because of all the push and pull that has happened with Netflix when it comes to the fact that this is going to be the one of the first NC-17 rated films on the streaming service, and there was a whole big battle of, can they put it in theaters? Will Netflix allow it? Will they have to cut out certain things to kind of put it to an R rating since it is going to be on theaters before it hits, the, hits Netflix? So there was a lot of back and forth there, and for a while, this didn't really gain any momentum, and I was wondering if this was kind of dead in the water, if this was ever be released, what would happen with it, and very much it seems like they're going the awards route for this, and I was looking forward to seeing what Anna was going to do in this in this role. Again, it's, it's someone completely different, of a different ethnicity taking over this role, which is great, but it's a matter of can she play this character, can she fit the kind of the, 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 the charismatic looks and, and the angles of what we know Marilyn Monroe to be and just from this first trailer she hits it for me I mean she is mesmerizing in this and she describes you and even for a minute which this is really just a teaser trailer for that minute she grabs you in and, and I think will engage people in what they want to see and to me the thing about this is this very much reminds me of Spencer last year where I think a lot of people might be looking for this to be a biopic but I think this will be a bigger look at her life but it's going to be very much talking about certain aspects of Marilyn Monroe that are going to kind of go into the deeper corners of, of and, and tell us certain things about about masculinity and and taking advantage of women and abuse and domestic violence and and the Hollywood system of the 50s and 60s that very much took advantage of Marilyn Monroe when she was very young and she passed away at, at a very young age kind of like a, a Judy Garland a little bit in, in the way that she was treated within the Hollywood system and so I think that is kind of the angle that Andrew Dominic is going for with this movie and again I like a, a biopic I'm excited for the Elvis movie but because to, to me that's more of a traditional biopic but I like these kind of movies that take slices of life 
and make you reflect on different aspects while also keeping an eye on an icon like Marilyn Monroe. I thought they did a fantastic job of that with Spencer, where it was very much about one specific time in her life that really kind of showcased the things that she was really kind of going through in the royal family and, and everything that she was kind of facing with with, with, with Belima and Anorexa and all that kind of stuff and, and the problems that she had and, and, and the courage that she had and all that kind of stuff. And so I think that is what Blonde is going to really be. And again, it's going to be very interesting. I think one of the big things is going to be that NC-17 rating. It's it's going to be dicey. You don't, you don't, put on an NC-17 reading. You don't see that often, if ever, within a studio system. And, and, and it's going to be interesting because Netflix films and streaming films always, I think they always go before the, the MPAA. I think they always are kind of slapped on with a rating because it's a movie. And if you're putting it out in theaters, even if it's just for a week, even if it's in, if it's in a limited amount, you still have to put something on it to kind of warn audiences of what's in it, what's the content that's going to potentially be in the movie. And if they're giving it this and their Netflix is, is is okay with it, there's going to be some not good stuff going on in this movie. And I think the director has pointed that out. That it's going to be very controversial. It's not going to please a lot of people. And as it shouldn't, because this was very much, even though this is the 50s and 60s, very much the golden age of Hollywood, behind the scenes, there was some dark stuff going on during that time period. And, and I think this is going to very much shed light on those kind of, of things and again I'm somebody who loves Hollywood I love movies but again sometimes movies shine ugly truths and I think this is going to be a movie that does that I think Anna again looks incredible the last 20 seconds of the trailer where it, she's kind of looking for that that it seems like she's looking for that persona of Marilyn and she's asking her not to leave her in that moment and she's traumatized and she's sad and upset and then it, the, the camera slowly turns to the mirror and then you see that persona come out in Marilyn where she just goes from weeping and crying to smiling and joyful and gleeful and instead of being awesome it's terrifying and scary and 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 that's the kind of tone that we're setting i'm very excited for this movie and cannot wait for it to come out and if i had to choose between this or my policeman being a stronger oscar contender i think i would give blonde the edge for that kind of 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 potential within the oscars i think this very much is going to be set up to be in the venice film festival it's been rumored to be one of the potential contenders there one of the slot members i think this could potentially play at at telluride toronto this could be a awards festival darling that is one of the big first out of the gate contenders at the oscars this year but i really enjoyed the trailer it's coming out september 23rd around or literally that weekend that dirt don't worry darling comes out as well so we're going to be dealing with a lot of female emotional trauma in that weekend which is going to be great to see the the complexities of all this stuff coming out with two great actresses in florence Pugh for don't worry darling and anna de armas but you love those kind of weekend matchups and and to see that kind of come to fruition is going to be great to see i'm excited for this movie and cannot wait to see it even though it's gonna it's gonna be one to definitely get into to to try to get through it but it's one that i'm very much still looking forward to what they're gonna do with that film what do you guys think think about these two trending trailers which one are you looking forward to the most is it my policeman is it blonde let me know down below and leave your thoughts and the final thing 
that I want to talk about on the podcast today is, of course, going over the weekend preview for what is coming out this weekend. Of course, there's a lot of things set to come out, so I want to give you guys a preview of what's coming up both in theaters and also on streaming as well. And this is a jam-packed weekend for everyone to experience. This is kind of going back to a little bit of what the normal times were, where there's something for everybody. And it's not just in theaters, it's on streaming services as well. And there's been a lot of stuff that has come out over the last couple of days. We've had the Jennifer Lopez documentary, Jennifer Lopez Halftime on Netflix, which is the opening night film for the Tribeca Film Festival. You also have the brand new HBO Max film, which is kind of a retooling of Father of the Bride, which is, of course is a, is a classic film with Steve Martin, but it's been kind of reimagined, retooled with a little bit more diversity. It's more of a Hispanic film. It has Andy Garcia. It has Isabella Marced. It has Adria Aljourna. It has so many different people in it. It looks fun. It looks entertaining. But then when you come into this this weekend, there's a lot of stuff coming out on Friday for a lot of people to look forward to as well. And of course, the big one, especially on the big screen that people will be talking about, is the latest from Disney and Pixar Animation Studio with Lightyear, which is a spinoff of the Toy Story franchise, kind of telling the origin story of how kind of Buzz Lightyear came to be within Andy's life. And the way that they kind of tell it is sounds like this is the movie Lightyear that inspires Andy to get the toy within Toy Story, basically. So this is the kind of thing that inspires him to get the popularity of that toy and why he loves it so much in that first Toy Story movie. And it looks really cool. I love space space sci-fi adventures. This seems to have it all. Chris Evans coming in to voice it, taking over from 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 Tim Allen. I think is a, is a, is a good move, especially if you want to differentiate between the toy and the actual being himself. Uh, it looks really cool. It has some cool action elements as well. Um, Buzz is one of my favorite characters, so for him to kind of get this whole exploration is really really cool. And of course, the big thing from this movie is that this is the first Pixar film to hit solely the big screen and not just Disney Plus is the first one to do that since the pandemic first started back in early 2021 onward was the last film to go strictly to theaters before going to Disney Plus when the pandemic really hit the United States in March and April of 2020 but this is I'm really happy for Pixar because they deserve for their stuff to be seen on the big screen. I think this is if there's one film to do it, you do it with a film like this, which is based off of a popular character. I think this is going to be a big film. It's going to be interesting to see based off the early box office projections if this can dethrone the dinos of Jurassic World Dominion in taking that number one spot. I, I don't know if that's going to be the possible, but I do think if anything, it'll come in at number two. I think it'll make between 75. $80 million at the box office this weekend. I don't think it's going to be as big as the other Toy Story films, but I think it's, this will be a slow progression and another step, especially for family audiences to go back to the theaters and to do it with a popular character, even though it's not the same character as in those original Toy Story films. I think people will still get that feeling and look at the character and be like, oh, this is Lightyear. Let's go see this film. And so I think that's what's going to be happening 
as well. You also have some awesome streaming films coming out as well. You have a, a Sundance film that sounded pretty interesting when I heard about it back a few months ago. It is the film Cha Cha Real Smooth. It's directed and written and starring Cooper Rafe, but it's also starring Dakota Johnson. It's about this kind of DJ who does kind of bar mitzvahs, and he strikes up this relationship between a mother and her daughter, and then things kind of ensue from there. You also have a film with Brian Cranston and Annette Benning. It's called Jerry Marge Go Large, which sounds pretty cool. You also have a film that is coming out on Hulu with Emma Thompson that looks very interesting as well. It's called Thank You, Leo Grande. And But the one that I'm looking forward to when it comes to streaming is this film called Spiderhead. And it's directed by Top Gun Maverick director himself, Joseph Krasinski. And it stars Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller, and Journey Smollett. And this tells you how long Top Gun Maverick has been in the wings, where Joseph Kaczynski filmed Top Gun Maverick in 2018, going to 2019, and then after that, he had the time during the pandemic to re-team up with Miles Teller and do this movie, and now just weeks apart from one another, he, Joseph Kaczynski has two films that are doing really, really well for audiences. I've heard some good things about this movie. I'm great to see that for Joseph Kaczynski. I'm a big fan of Miles Teller. He's kind of having a moment right now between Top Gun Maverick, The Offer, and now this. And for Chris Hemsworth, I think this, from the trailer, this very much kind of plays into more of his of his comedic side of things, but it seems a little bit more kind of sinister as well. But So I'm looking forward to seeing what this film is going to be. It's on Netflix right now. So those are really kind of the main ones to look out and look forward to this weekend. If I had to choose a few to put on the top of your list... I'd probably go see Lightyear on the big screen, Spiderhead on Netflix, and then to round it all out, I would say check out this new indie film from Sundance that's on Apple TV Plus called Cha Cha Real Smooth with Dakota Johnson. Those would be my three to look forward to this weekend with an honorable mention going to The Father of the Bride. If you're looking for just a fun, entertaining time from what I've heard about this film, it sounds like you can get that with that movie over on HBO Max as well. But that is the weekend preview for this upcoming weekend of films both in theaters and on streaming and with that down and out of the way that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast on the ambiguous podcast solution so once again be sure to check out my channel for more content and you check me out on Spotify Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio Public SoundCloud and much more also make sure to tune in on to the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, make sure to check out Goal Driven Professionals, Geared Toward Improving Client Relations, Return on Investment, and Customer Acquisition Costs for Independent Businesses and Services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website and Big podcast solutions.com also on facebook and twitter at real ambiguous and if you want to check out canopy trios use the coupon code ambiguous you can also check me out on social media find me on twitter at episode samuel that's b-u-s-s-e-l-l-s-a-m-u-e-l and also on facebook at sam Bissell. once again everyone thank you so much for tuning in have a wonderful weekend and until next time keep on screening